Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Welcome to Star Wars Bookworms, everybody. The show where we discuss and review all the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Del Rey Books. I am your host, as always, Teresa Delgado, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Aaron Goins. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to talking to some Star Wars Expanded Universe for the next hour. Me too. On this particular month's episode, we're going to be discussing two comic volumes, The Night Errant Volume 3 Escape and also Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison. But before we get into that, we have a very special guest we want to introduce, and Aaron, I'll let you do the honors. All right, well, we are very happy to have back Josh Stolt. This is our sixth episode. He was actually our very first guest on our first episode. So, Josh, welcome back to Star Wars Bookworms. Oh, thank you very much. I'm a very special guest. I, I'm honored. I think you might be the <laughs> only guest that we've had that we have actually both met in person at the same time. Right, Teresa? Yeah, I think so. I think that is wow. true. Yeah, so, we, so that's why you're special to us. We actually have met you, we've seen you, we've hung out with you at Fan Days. Awesome. Well, I, I'm honored and privileged. And uh, for the listeners out there, if you don't know, Josh actually, since the last time we talked to him, he has actually started a couple of podcasts of his own. So, Josh, how about you tell the people about your podcasts? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm uh, on a couple of different podcasts right now. More to come, actually. But uh, uh, I am uh, co-hosting a show with uh, Jay Shepard uh, that we talk, discuss, and review uh, the uh, episodes of the CW show Arrow. Which is all about the you know the classic DC comic book hero uh, Green Arrow. They don't call him Green Arrow on the show, but uh, and uh, season one just just got wrapped up, and uh, we talked about each episode of the first season, and it uh, it was a lot of fun. It really got me into the show, and as as it went through the season, it it got more and more exciting. So that's always fun. Um, I also uh, do another podcast. Um, with Stuart Tullis uh, called Techno Retro Dads. And on that show, he and I just hang out and talk about all kinds of stuff that we like, a lot of stuff from our childhood that we're trying to pass on and share with our kids, and then stuff from today that uh, we're sharing with our kids and that maybe somehow connected with our childhood or, you know, just fun stuff. So it's just the stuff that we're into that we like to hang out and talk about and share with our family. So... Um, that's really fun. And then, uh, you know, you never know. There might be a, another show or two to come down the road. So, Cool. Well, uh, we're really happy to have you on the show again, Josh, and we're looking forward to hearing what you think about the uh, different comics that we're going to be covering today. But before we get into our reviews, the, the other thing that just happened, um, I guess it's just a little bit over a week ago, uh, Lucasfilm officially announced the new animated series that we had all been hoping was going to happen. And they've been kind of teasing us with things here and there. But now we have official word. Star Wars Rebels is going to be coming out in fall of 2014. Um, how excited are you guys for this new animated series? Oh, I'm really excited. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, I mean, it's it, 
to me it feels like, and, and you know, I'm sure we'll find out more as it gets a little closer, it, it'll be completely different, but to me it feels like, you know what, we're just taking a little break, we're skipping one season of the Clone Wars, and then we're going to get back to some good animated goodness, you know, so, because Dave is in charge of it, and, uh, you know, nothing's confirmed or anything, but I would be willing to bet that Dave will go back to uh, people that have done some good work for him, and, um have have worked on the Clone Wars, you know, whether it's voice actors or behind the scenes stuff. But um, so to me, it feels like it, a lot of the same crew will be there. It's just a different project. So we're gonna we're gonna continue with great animation. Yeah, and I mean, I, I know we're not a Star Wars animation podcast or a Star Wars literature podcast, but when big news like this does come out, we do want to talk about it. And um, and even talk about it a little bit and how it might relate to the Star Wars Expanded Universe because of the time period that they're going to be covering, which we now know is between Episodes 3 and Episode 4. There, you know, that Although there's not a lot that happens in that time period, there are some Star Wars Expanded Universe stories that do fall in that time period. So it will be interesting to see, you know, what they if they try to use any of that in the show, if they completely wipe out some of that stuff. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on, on that specifically? Mm, I, you know, I haven't read too much of that stuff as most of my reading and everything has been, um, within the older public and the prequel era, but I know there are a lot of people that are really attached to the things that have been written in that time frame, and I couldn't say how much has actually been written as, you know, I'm just starting to get into that, but... You know, I think everything at this point is fair game. And it's it's sort of, I guess, maybe kind of controversial to say, but just because it was written in a book does not mean that it's canon, and it does not mean that that's what they're going to go with. They could completely choose to change everything that has been written, you know, because they're going to go a different way. And I know that may upset some fans, but the way I see it is that it's a new story. So regardless of it, what it is, it's going to be a new story, and that's ultimately what we're here for is for the stories of Star Wars. So I don't know. You, you know, I it's such a big time period. I mean, it's like, what, like 10 years or something like that, isn't it? Isn't that what they said? Or maybe even longer than I that. I think it's a, there's a 20-year gap. I believe. Oh yeah, between. I guess I, it would be. I guess between episode three and four, that's, that's that would be about eighteen, nineteen years, wouldn't it? Since yeah, and they haven't said they haven't said when it's going to be set. They just said it's going to be set sometime in between. So it might be right. right after episode three, or it could be right before episode four. So we or some you know anywhere in between. So and that right. could really so, change the landscape of the show depending on where they put it. It could, and and I'm just thinking, you know, I mean, because there's such a a, a, a wide time range. They they have a lot to work with where they wouldn't necessarily have to mess up any canon that has come in the literature. Um, but, you know, also knowing um, that it's Dave Filoni that's doing it, I don't think he would um, – I think it's probably going to be right around the same kind of level as Clone Wars did. You know, it might mess up a couple little things, but nothing that you couldn't kind of roll with if you were uh, willing to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think that because of the fact that Dave Filoni's involved, and now it'll be I'll be interested to see if George Lucas will be involved at all because I know he's kind of stepped back and he was very involved in the Clone Wars um but probably not going to be so much in Rebels so it might give them a little bit more freedom to mine the the EU a little bit more than they did with Clone Wars um 
But yeah, I wouldn't expect them to kind of treat the expanded universe like, you know, the Force Unleashed, for example, happened in that time period. Does that mean we're going to see Starkiller or they're going to even reference him? Probably not. Maybe. You never know. I mean, they brought Quinlan Voss into the Clone Wars. They brought uh, Asajj Ventress into the Clone Wars. So there is always the possibility that they might, you know, take some of these characters and put them into the show. Um, no, but, but Dave's a big enough fan. I'm sure he'll he'll throw a little uh, homage to the EU fans because I, I think he's probably an EU fan too. Right, to a certain extent, I'm sure he is, and I know he's a big fan of yeah of the Timothy Zahn stuff. Um, you know, so who knows? Some of those characters uh, may, might even show up. You know, maybe we'll get some early Grand, Grand Admiral Thrawn or or something like that. We'll see. Ooh, that'd be cool. Well, you know, the only thing is, is that whatever it is that they show is probably going to be in some way consistent with whatever the new movie is going to be. Yes. You know. Yeah, because like, it's D- not like they're going to be disjointed. Yeah, because Dave Filoni specifically said in an interview now before this announcement came out, he he was talking about just continuity, and and they, he said going forward they are going to work really hard to make sure that as things come out that are Star Wars, that they all fit together, be that, you know, TV, movies, uh, or anything beyond that. Um, so I think going forward we'll see we'll see a lot more ties with these new movies, this show, and probably, you know, future books and comics that come out um, that are related to this stuff. You know, we'll probably see a little bit more of them tying in as opposed to kind of how the Clone Wars kind of just did its own thing, although it did reference things here and there, it didn't really try to work with the other stuff. The other stuff, like books and comics, had to try to work with Clone Wars, but it didn't really go back the other way. Um, but it'll be interesting. It'll be, you know, we have this show coming up in 2014, and then obviously the the new movies are starting in 2015. It shows no signs of slowing down. That's all that matters to me. It's great. Yep. All right, well, um, let's go ahead and move on and... Uh, start talking about our reviews here. So, Teresa, if you want to go ahead and introduce our first review, uh, Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison. Okie dokie. Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison, its original release date was April 10th of 2013. The writer was Hayden Blackman. The artist was, I'm going to mess this up, um, Augustin Alacio? Maybe. Um, The timeline is about 19 years before the Battle of Yavin, and the synopsis is as follows. A traitorous uprising against the fledgling Galactic Empire leaves Emperor Palpatine close to death. Saving the Emperor and the Empire appears to be a lost cause, unless Vader can uncover the secrets of the Jedi Council and locate the mysterious ghost prison. What did you guys think overall? Just don't, you know, don't give all of your thoughts right now, but just overall, did you enjoy this one? Um, how did you feel about it, Start starting with you, Josh? Uh, I have to say, I actually really enjoyed this uh, this comic, this Star Wars comic, more than um, I have for quite a while, um, for, you know, several different reasons we can get into, but uh, this one was pretty exciting to me. Yeah, um, I was the same for me, actually. Um I wasn't sure I was really going to like it, and but I actually really liked the sort of um, report narrative that was going on um, as he was sort of chronicling what was happening, and um, the ending was pretty, 
pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with both of you guys. This one was surprisingly good for me. I, like, I didn't know what to expect. For whatever reason, when this first came out, when it was the individual issues, it didn't really pique my interest, and I didn't. I never read the individual issues. So the first I was reading it was when the volume came out. And, um, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. One of my favorite uh, Star Wars comics in a long time, uh, like you said, Josh. All right, so let's just kind of walk through the story here. Um, basically, the story starts out, we have this group of cadets. This this comes, like, right after Episode 3. Like, I think it's only just a few months after Episode 3. So, you know, Darth Vader's pretty new in his suit, and the Emperor is, you know, pretty new to his post as an Emperor. And we have these new cadets that they're bringing in. Um, and the main cadet, one of the, the, I guess, kind of the main character of this comic is this cadet uh, by the name of Lorita Tom. What did you guys think about this guy? Uh, kind of an interesting character at, at the very beginning. You kind of think, oh, he might be kind of the good guy of the story, but it didn't really turn out that way. Um, well, my first impression of him when I read the synopsis sort of like on the very first page and then the before it actually shows the cadets you know so like the very first page of art I thought this was a girl <laughs> I'm not gonna lie I thought it was a girl and then it ended up being a guy so that was my first impression that I had to get over <laughs> yeah the name is even a little Lorita that sounds like a girl's name yeah and then after I got over the fact that it was a guy um, I sort of, he was just sort of like an outcast to me, like, I was trying to figure out how they would bring him in as the main character, just because they sort of had him as being really insecure and being very sort of standoffish, you know, um, but as the story played out, you could see why he became a, a primary character but at the same time it was sort of confusing because he didn't seem to be like the type of person that he ended up being if that makes any sense right yeah he, he was a very very complex character you could tell that he had had some emotional traumas which made him very interesting you know because you, you sort of he was the narrator so you were sort of in his head and and you were trying to understand what his motivations you know were why was he why was he aligning himself with who he was and and uh why was he um ultimately taking the path that he took you know and and he was so surprising which i think they uh were able to do because of his unique you know disabilities i guess um and and so it made him a, a really interesting character to me yeah, and I didn't realize, like, very early on in the comic, they make it obvious that he has burn scars. But mm -hmm. they don't really explain what happened to him until later on. But I didn't even notice that he was missing an arm until probably about halfway through the comic. There was one panel that, you know, you see his sleeve is empty, and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even notice he's missing an arm as well. Yeah, so. well, they start off when they, when the, the very first time they actually show him, they don't show anything wrong with him. It's a side view of his uninjured side. Right. Yeah. Um, he's just he's sitting there, and then and then they go, you know, they kind of show you his face, and then they paint. So so they kind of reveal you to you one panel at a time, um, and they and then they slowly kind of tell you how bad it is, you know. Right. And okay, so in the beginning of the comic, we're we're also introduced to this character, um, Headmaster Gentis. 
and he's kind of like a Clone Wars hero, and the cadets all look up to him. And he's going to turn out to be a pretty important role in this comic as well. But he's a character that Tom looks up to. He's kind of his hero. Tom has a, a run-in with him um, as the cadets are kind of celebrating. And Tom is actually the valedictorian, and he gets recognized by Gentis. Um, so they have a nice little exchange there. What did you guys think about this character, uh, Gentis? I didn't really think much about him until probably later on in the comic as he sort of started to explain himself more. My first impressions of him were just kind of like that he was there, he was a hero, people idolized him, but he didn't really have much power. But as the story continued, I began to understand where his power was coming from and why he felt the way he did. And... um I could actually sort of sympathize with him a little bit. Yeah, like he, yeah, and we'll get into kind of his motivations a little bit later on in the story, but yeah, he's definitely, if there is a good guy in this story, it's kind of him, but really there's not very many good guys in the story. No, there are not any good guys in the story. Yeah, so so Tom, he, um, his friends take him to to basically take a joyride in a, in a ship, uh, but they have ulterior motives. And, um, you know, they talk, They basically talk him into taking a ride in these ships that kind of look like TIE Fighters, um, which I think is an intentional homage here, kind of like an early version of the TIE Fighter. I'm not familiar with these well, they, specific ships. They say they're prototypes. Okay. So they may they may even be prototypes to a TIE Fighter. You know, they may be um, before the TIE Fighter, because this is, this is supposed to take place just a few months after Revenge of the Sith. Right. Yeah, so I thought... I thought those ships look kind of cool. So he he goes in there, and but really what they're doing is they're tricking him. They lock him in the cockpit, and in a way, I guess they were trying to protect him because they knew about this attack that was about to happen, and um, and they didn't want him to be around it when it happened. Um, so he ejects himself from the ship and actually lands right in the middle of this major battle that's going on. So the the uh, Coruscant is being attacked, and he kind of lands right in the middle of it, right next to where Darth Vader is battling for his life. So now we have the introduction here of Darth Vader, and Darth Vader and him both have, they have a little bit of a uh, uh, a run-in, they talk to each other, and th- at this point Tom realizes that people he knows are involved in the attack, and he kind of has to make a decision which way he's going to go. Were you guys surprised by the decision that he made, did it did it kind of surprise you that instead of, you know, helping his friend when he discovered him as an attacker, he actually just cold blooded killed him? Uh, I it surprised me almost. I'm he this in this series uh, with a with a decision of uh, you know something big like that. Almost everything he did surprised me. So it, it surprised me more than it sounds like it did Teresa because he was faced with this thing where he he was supposed to be making you know the quote unquote right choice, um, but. Uh, in this case, he went the other way than I would have guessed. And then later on in the story, when he's faced with maybe uh, deciding whether or not to save somebody, um, then you know I think, well, you know, this guy's killed somebody in cold blood. He's made these these decisions that were completely opposite of what I would do. And then and then he turned around and made the decision I I would have made. But so that surprised me too. So he kept going back and forth, and that really surprised me. 
Well, I think the reason that it didn't surprise me is because you could tell he was sort of brainwashed to be loyal to the Empire and to be loyal to the Emperor and to Darth Vader. So he saw Vader as his path to knowledge and power and to a place that he couldn't get to without him. And once he saw that his headmaster, you know, was going against um, everything he had been brought up to believe, you know, it didn't surprise me that he abandoned his, you know, former idol, you would say, for something that seemed more powerful. So, Teresa, do you think, I mean, um, you know, you said he was like brainwashed into, you know, serving the emperor and the empire. Um, do you think that his his disability um, was, uh, you know, what made him follow that brainwashing? Because all the other cadets had the same training and, and you know, whatever brainwashing, I guess, as he did. But they went the other way. They followed the headmaster instead. So do you think his disability had something to do with that? I actually kind of do, because if he hadn't encountered the disability that he did as a kid, he probably wouldn't even be in the cadet corps, um, as we find out later based on what he had originally wanted to do with his life. And we also see another character that has disabilities, um, Chakta, that, you know, is also going down the same path that um, Tom is going down. You know, and maybe it's because they feel, you know, a lack of um, competence because they have disabilities. And so their only true way to get past that is to seek power. And what is the best way to do that except for to follow the two most powerful people in the galaxy? Yeah. And this, this Tracta guy, um, he's an interesting-looking character, and I... And I believe I've seen him in other stuff before this. I don't think this is his first appearance. Are you guys familiar with him at all? I am I'm, not. But... I'm not either, but it felt like he was in something else. Um, okay. It sounded like he, he had kind of a history that I didn't know about. Now, I'm actually, but... I, you know, I'm cheating a little bit here. I looked up Wikipedia, and now it's coming back to me. He was part of the Empire comic series that came out. You know, some time back, they had a, a series of Dark Horse comics entitled Empire. I believe they kind of happened in the same time period, but I think they kind of happened after this. So this is probably going a little bit back in his storyline. But yeah, that's where I've seen him before, because he has such a distinct look. As soon as I saw him in this comic, I was, like, I was like, I know I've seen this guy before. What did you guys think about his look? It's kind of like, it almost looks like a Vader-esque look to him, but without all the armor. Did you like that, or did you think it was too much of a, a kind of a rip-off of Darth Vader? I noticed it, um, but I didn't really think too much about it. I think because I was paying too much attention to um, the interactions between him and Tom that I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking at the artwork of that character specifically. The background, part of the reason is probably because the backgrounds in this particular artwork of this comic were really, really good. And I caught myself sort of looking around the characters a lot to kind of see, like, the, you know, where they were and the kind of environment they were in. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love the artwork in this comic, and we can talk about that a little bit. Some, I mean, when it comes to comics, it's really hit and miss for me. Some, some artwork I really like, and then sometimes I just really don't like the look of comic book artwork. 
Um, but this stuff I really liked a lot. What did you think, Josh? Um, you know, I, I it was it was very unique for comic books. I mean, it, it almost had a, a a photorealistic quality to it in a in a comic book style, if that makes any sense. Um, but it, it almost felt like they were um, photos that had been illustrated on. You know what I mean? The the skin texture had a good um, realistic quality to it. My, my maybe possibly my favorite image in the entire. There were so many great images, but one of my favorite images um, was in issue number two, where they just came upon the emperor, and he had been you know poisoned with that gas, um, and he was. Uh, he he's just kind of looking up at Vader with blood coming out of his nose and his mouth, and it looked oh my gosh, it looked just like Ian McDermott, and it looked it looked like a photograph of him. So um, I was really impressed with the artwork uh, because it was a high quality, but it was also just kind of unique. It didn't feel so much like your traditional comic book. So I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I like the color schemes they used. It gave it a really dark, like overbearing feel, like all the. Uh, the blacks and grays and kind of like the they use a lot of green like kind of a hazy green in a lot of the backgrounds and uh, yeah. I really like that as well I agree I really like the color scheme that they used and um, they never went too bright everything was kind of dark and shadowy and there was that green color um, but it gave a lot of light to when weapons were being used so like when lightsabers or blasters or any of that kind of stuff you could really see what was actually happening um, because they illuminated that other stuff very well, um, and I thought they did a really good job with that. As as uh, Josh kind of referenced, the the emperor actually gets poisoned in this comic, which I thought was kind of cool uh, to show that he, you know, if if the right plan is put together, he is not completely invulnerable, and he can be t- he can be hurt, and um, he definitely was hurt in this comic. Um, you know, they poisoned him; they had to kind of hide him away and try to try to bring him back to health. And they, they kind of got this team together. So it's Darth Vader, this Tom guy who is now kind of starting to, in a way, kind of become Vader's lackey. And then you have Tracta, who are now kind of this team that are trying to figure out how they can uh, save I the thought Emperor. It, I thought it was interesting that, you know, uh, both Tracta and Tom were both disfig- disfigured, you know, in... in uh, uh, not accidents, but in in violent acts, I guess, um, which, you know, I think that Darth Vader would really relate to and have some sort of um, almost like a, a connection with them, you know. Um, so I, I kind of felt that that's why he trusted Tom so much. Huh. And I didn't even... Of, because of the disability? I didn't even pick up on that, Josh, until you just now said it. But, yeah, all three of these characters all have you know, some sort of, uh, you know, disability or missing body parts and and almost kind of in different phases. You could kind of see Tom as, you know, he, he's missing an arm and he's burnt, but he doesn't have any cybernetic implants. Then you have Tracta, who is kind of the middle ground. He's kind of halfway there. He's cybernetic. And then you have Vader, who is the fully realized half-man, half-machine with full body armor. So it's almost yeah. that, that and- progression is interesting. Yeah, they're, they're, and they're just it's almost like a, a band of misfits, and then as you go further on in the story, it, it gets even more so. So they, they actually go and visit the Jedi Temple, um, and we get to see these holograms of a conversation that, that Anakin has with the Jedi Council of talking about, I guess, all of these people that he's captured, 
and those people have disappeared. And, and so we, we realize, uh, as they reveal in the comic, that there's this prison, this, this uh, I forget the name of the, what was the name of the prison? The prism. The prism. The prism. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The prism prison. The prison prism. Prism prison. Which confused me. I'm not going to lie. I thought that there was a misprint and they were trying to say prison, but they said prism. And I was like, maybe they just accidentally typed it wrong. I thought that too. I looked at it and I was like, oh, did they miss a typo here? Because it sounds like a weird name for a prison. Like, then maybe they missed a typo everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't—they don't really reference why they call it that. But when they first get there, it's—it's um, it's kind of like this weird-looking prism floating in the sky. So I think that's—that's uh, that's why they—they they ended up calling it that. But um, which was a really interesting scene too. <laughs> well, and to go back to the scene with the holograms um, before we leave it, you know, I really love the artwork of the holograms and how much all of the characters from Obi Wan to Mace to Yoda even to Kiati Mundi, how much they looked like their characters from the films. Um, they did a really good job with that. But what I also liked was the dynamic between all of the Jedi characters because it's so true to who their characters are. You know, it's like when Mace said his few lines, that really was Mace Windu. You know, so you could really hear it, or at least I could hear like Samuel L. Jackson talking in my head. Because yeah, it yeah, sounded I like agree. something he would say. And and the more the more EU I read, the more you see how um, the Jedi were really falling apart. I mean, they just they were messed up. They they just weren't making the right decisions. Every turn they made the wrong decisions. I think the only one that was really um, where he needed to be was Obi Wan, which is probably one of the reasons that he ended up surviving. Yeah, and more and more they're really painting like characters like Mace Windu and even Yoda as as these overconfident people who who really made a lot of mistakes and you can put a lot of blame on those characters that were supposed to be leading the Jedi Order at this time for what the failings of the order and what happened. Um, Definitely. As much as we love characters like Yoda, it's like man, he really messed up. Yeah. And yeah I agree did. with you. And especially after the last episode of The Clone Wars, my view of Mace Windu has changed dramatically. And so now when I see him in anything, I just, I have this feeling of like, almost that he's sort of a traitor, you know. And it's a really horrible feeling to have, but I just feel that way now. Yeah, it it is rough because I... I really love the character of Mace Windu, and like uh, he has his own novel, Shatterpoint, which is one of my favorite, you know, probably top five favorite Star Wars novels. And so, you know, I kind of, I really like that character. And so, the more and more they show him in this different light, it's kind of like rubs me the wrong way. I'm like, oh, that's not the Mace Windu I know. But you know, you know, it is what it is. I thought uh, one more thing about those holograms. I I really uh, thought it was. Very intense when um, Vader, uh, he was watching the whole recording and it was over. Uh, Obi-Wan, Anakin, the hologram Anakin, had stepped out and the hologram Obi-Wan was standing there addressing the the council looking so distraught and and upset. Um, And uh, Vader steps right through the Obi-Wan hologram, you know, which I thought was just powerful. It was like a... 
uh, <laughs> you know, it was almost like him killing him all over again, um, or or for the first time, I guess, because he hadn't done that yet. And then just uh, like he's addressing the council like they were still there. But anyway, that was just a really powerful scene with those holograms. And then he destroys the whole <laughs> the whole Jedi Council chamber. So, yeah. And I have a hard time. I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time separate or or thinking of Anakin as the same character as Darth Vader. Like I've always had a hard time with that um, because when I you know growing up, you watch the movies. Darth Vader was this imposing guy with this deep voice, and even when you see him unmasked at the end of Return of the Jedi, he's an old guy. You know, like and then you see him in the Clone Wars. Or you see him, you know, as a young Anakin in, in the prequels. And it's just hard for me to mesh those two characters together. So even reading this comic and seeing Darth Vader in the Jedi Temple and then seeing a hologram of Anakin, I have to remind myself that that's the same guy. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple stories I've read where it's it's more clear. And, and this would be one of them, like that one scene right there, because they show the Anakin hologram and how mad he is, and I can kind of connect it. And then there's another novel... Um, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, is it like Dark it's, Lord? It, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I, yeah, I, think I know that's they the did a lot of Anakin, you know, his thoughts inside of Vader. Yeah. yeah, but those are all, otherwise, you know, they're like completely opposite characters, it seems. Yeah, it's still hard for me. It's hard for me to think of them as the same guy. Um, maybe I'm just in denial. <laughs> but um, <laughs> let's fast forward a little bit. We, uh, you know, we want to leave some time for our other comic review as well. But, um yeah, so basically they, they they hear about they figure out that there's this this prison that uh they have been keeping these you know these people um you know people that have special powers, you know, people that that would require uh, a more specialized prison for. And they decide to go there. Um Darth Vader with his with his now his team. And so they get there, and we have this poor Jedi woman that's been there, I guess, didn't even realize that the Jedi have all been, all but been wiped out. And, um, you know, we have, we have Darth Vader come in here and just run her through with a lightsaber. And I really wish we knew her name. I really do. In the panel, I yeah, almost just, don't. <laughs> yeah, but... It was, um, it, was, it was dramatic end. That was one of the best, I thought, art panels in the whole comic was that scene you know with him you know thrusting his lightsaber and then you have some other stuff going on but i, I thought that was a very dramatic you know scene there well uh, yeah because yeah. he kind of looks like he's sort of floating <laughs> yeah he's like fly yeah it is it's very very dramatic looking but i don't know how else to say it i know no, the, the angles hey, the angles of the artwork and and the way that it's centered, it it really um, the, it, it focuses your eye right on the death, right on the the point of impact where the lightsaber is, and so it really uh, it it just does everything that artwork is supposed to do. It it tells the story with just sort of a sweep of your eye, and that's and that's why it's so powerful. Yeah, and so this the story gets this is the part of the story where I'm really enjoying it up until this point. And then once they get to the prison, and I guess their whole plan is they want to let, they want to try to get some of these these prisoners and have them help them take back Coruscant from this uprising. And I guess part of the plan was they're going to let these prisoners all just kind of duke it out and see who who rises above. And then it's at this point it started to get a little bit weird for me. Like it's just kind of a ridiculous idea, I think. 
what did you guys think about that? Did it did that come across as kind of ridiculous to you, or did, or did you like it as part of the story? Um, I thought that it was an interesting way to go. I also thought that it could turn out to be really, really bad. But I definitely thought it was interesting that Vader and the Emperor would allow these prisoners to mass suicide because even though the Emperor is a really evil guy and even though Vader is too, they don't strike me as people that are just going to throw a bunch of people in a ring and say, fight to the death. They're classier than that. You know, they're classy villains. Um, <laughs> and they're more so, sophisticated. It's a more sophisticated kind of evil. So that was kind of weird. Um, and I also kind of wish I knew who the guy is that um, Tracta goes in to beat the crap out of. <laughs> I think that they explained earlier in the comic that he... Was he the guy that injured Tracta with the thermal detonator? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. When when okay, uh, when Tracta's telling when he's telling the story of how to, to Tom uh, how he lost his his arm and and got his injuries, um, you could see that that was the Jedi that did it. Yeah. So that's why he went in and uh, basically asked to be locked into the cell with this guy and then just beat him to death. Which uh, for for hours, <laughs> yeah. Which was pretty violent. Yeah. I, did, I mean, this whole comic Brutal. really had a lot of violence in it. Now, a lot of the blood, at least in the version that I read, um, they didn't paint it as red. It was more like black. The only red that you will see in this whole comic uh, series, I think, I have to go back and check, but I, is just uh, the lightsaber, Darth Vader's lightsaber. Yeah, and tracked his eyes, I guess. Oh yeah, I guess so. those are red too. So yeah, but like, yeah, there's uh, no like there's a lot of blood, but it's never red, which I guess kind of takes back a little bit from the violence of it. If they had made it all blood red, it would have come across as a little bit more violent, I think. Yeah, well, uh, completely because uh, uh, Tom comes in after he's you know after Vader orders him to kill one of the survivors. He comes in, um, and I had to kind of look at this twice. That's why that's why I'm thinking of it because when you said that, it made me think of this. But he comes in. All, his uniform is all bloody from that attack, and you know he throws up. And at first, I wasn't sure if it was blood or something else. Um, but then, when you look at it, and it's not red at all. It just looks like his uniform is darker in that part. So, um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think they toned that down. But so basically, they come back to Coruscant, um, and just to kind of fast forward a little bit, we do get to see Grand Moff Tarkin, which was interesting. He he actually has a little bit of a run-in with Gentis, um, you know, doesn't like the fact that he's a traitor kind of thing. And then we find out that Darth Vader, um, I guess he was on the shuttle that that um, Tarkin was on, is that right? With his it's little... because they track him in that, that girl, um, oh, what is her name, Volta? She helps track them in hyperspace, and they come out at the same point, and they get over to, I guess, their ship or whatever it is they're in. I don't know. They didn't explain that very well. It was kind of confusing how he just ended up on their ship and, like, came busting through the door. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I was a little lost, and I think I don't know if I was kind of zoning out at that point and just wasn't paying attention. But, yeah, I was kind of confused as to how they got there. But um, but they did. They got there, and now we have Darth Vader with his this new this ragtag crew of prisoners that were at this prison 
um, and they're take you know basically they're taking out these these traitorous uh, cadets who are following Gentis, and there's this huge battle that happens, uh, pretty violent, and in the end, uh, Tom actually shoots uh, Gentis's son, who was Tom's friend. He actually yep. shoots and kills him, which you know. I guess, I don't know why, but throughout the comic, I kind of thought that he was going to turn around at some point, but he really never did, did he? No, he didn't. He just kept getting worse. Yeah, he he's getting darker and darker and more, you know, just just uh, cruel. And he, you know, he kills this guy, and then as his father is clutching his son in his arms, Gentis is clutching his son in his arms, then the Emperor shows up and basically electrocutes him to death. <laughs> yep. And I'm just like, holy cow, this is just getting, like, they keep ratcheting up the, the intensity in this comic, like, stuff that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, that's what I was saying with Lieutenant Tom, you know, I mean, just, uh, um, every, like I said, every decision that he would make, it would be, like, different, you know, and then he falls in love with with that one girl, and, and um, I thought, well, maybe he's kind of realizing a little bit, and then, you know, he didn't. Yeah, and yeah. I think the, the, uh, the scene where Gentis is being electrocuted to death, that is a very, just the the look of it, you know, you see him there and the lightning is all around him and his eyes and mouth are glowing with, like, lightning coming out of them. It was yeah. very, very stunning imagery, like, uh, surprised me. It was a very graphic graphic. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, they take these, any of the cadets that actually survived the battle, um, they just take them out and they shoot them. You know, it's this is the empire. This is the start of the empire. They're no, you know, no nonsense. Take no prisoners. Hey, if you try to, if you try to an uprising and you fail, you're gonna die. They're setting the tone for the way the empire is gonna is gonna operate in the future. Yep. So, and kind of the as we kind of close this up here, basically, they these prisoners that helped them out taking back over Coruscant, um, they promised them their freedom. And Darth Vader says, ah, I want to kill them. Tracta kind of talks them out of killing them, says, no, let them go to this, you know, this faraway place that we're never going to see them again. Well, in the end, as the shuttle's flying away, it explodes. And so Darth Vader got his way. He, he wanted them to die all along, and it was never his plan to let them go. Um, and you get to see here that Tracta doesn't necessarily, he's not very happy with that decision. And I, I believe in the Empire comics that are going to come up later in the timeline, Tracta and Vader are actually rivals, so I think this is kind of setting that the tone for that story, which is a nice, uh, you know, how it's how they're tying it in. I thought that was pretty cool. Then, of course, we have uh, kind of the climax of the story. The very end is, um, you know, we have Tom, who now has, you know, he feels like he's kind of established himself. He's kind of, uh, you know, starting to feel a little confident, and the Emperor says to Vader, "Hey, this guy, this guy's, you know, a good guy. Let's let's keep him around." And then Vader kind of sees that as a threat, and so, and I thought he doesn't. He doesn't just say let's keep him around. He said that if anything happened to Vader, he could be a good successor. <laughs> he basically said, "Yeah, Vader, you know, if anything happens, you, I'll just replace you with this guy." So, <laughs> which I wonder if the Emperor was kind of like, he just kind of toying with Vader, like knowing that Vader would kill him if he said that. So he's like, "Eh, we don't really need this guy anymore." I'm just gonna have a little bit of fun with it and get and basically talk Vader into killing him. 
I can't imagine him not knowing that Vader would do that. I can't imagine him thinking that Vader would be okay Cause, I with mean, uh, be, being told that he's going to be replaced. <laughs> I mean, think about it. This guy, although you know he's pr- he proved himself throughout the comic, um, he's not a replacement for Darth Vader. You know, the Emperor never meant those words. You know, I think he was just really trying to toy with Vader a little bit and say, hey, you know, uh, you, you're replaceable. You know, try not to let Vader get too too big of a head. And, um, you know, it doesn't turn out too well for Tom in the end. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Which I love the end where he says, I have only one lesson for you. And then Tom's, like, all excited. He's like, oh, yeah, anything. Tell me, you know, I, I can. I would love to learn anything from you. And he says, uh, what does he say here? Never suffer Never. rivals. And then he throws them off the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and, 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 and they made it. Like, three times, though. Because I was like, never suffer rivals. Never suffer rivals. I was like, why are you suffering? I don't get it. I think the, wor- like, the way they're using the word suffer is kind of like, do not tolerate rivals. Okay. Well, um, I guess let's get into our final thoughts on what we thought about it. Um, I'll go first. Um, I actually thought it was a really well done comic. I actually enjoyed it more than I've enjoyed other comics that have come out um, here recently. And I think it was purely because of a few things. The artwork was one, the darkness of the story was two, and then all of these surprising aspects and then the end. Um, That just really, it caught my attention. And there hasn't really been a comic, I'd say, in like the last six months or so that has really caught my attention that same way. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Teresa. This one was, you know, just my short and sweet <laughs> overview of it. I really liked it a lot. One of my favorite comics that I've read in a long time. I love the art. I love the story, the tone of the story, uh, the surprise ending. Um, the only place it faltered for me a little bit was when they went to the prison. It got a little ridiculous with the whole make all the prisoners fight each other uh, and see who survives. But that wasn't enough to ruin it for me. That was just a small little thing that I didn't like. Overall, I really enjoyed the whole thing and, and loved this comic. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was excited about it. Um, I'd heard so much good uh, reviews of it that I, that's actually the reason I picked it up, because I don't pick all the comics up. So, um, and I wasn't disappointed. Uh, it, it, the art was fantastic. Uh, I uh, really enjoyed the story, even though it was a little little dark and uh, and uh, uh, graphic, I guess, for me, but uh, as typically a story. But um, I really enjoyed it a lot, and I didn't actually even mind the uh, the big prison battle. So I do recommend this one for sure. Cool. Well, let's move into our second comic, which is Night Errant Volume Three. It's Escape. The original release date was on April seventeenth of twenty thirteen. The writer is John Jackson Miller. And for this particular um, volume of the Night Errant Comics, our artist was Marco Castillo and Andrea Cella. And the timeline for it is about 1,032 years before the Battle of Yavin. And the synopsis is as follows. Joining a team hunting for a relic of extraordinary evil, Kara Holt hopes their search will reveal the truth about her missing parents before it leads to the 
leads the Sith to a tool of ultimate destruction. But Kara's desire to find her lost family is clouding her judgment. If the relic falls into Sith hands, the galaxy is doomed. All right, so what, are, what is your guys' kind of history with Knight Errant? Because um, we're just reviewing the final, the final volume, which is volume three of the comic, but there's two other volumes. There's also a novel. Have you guys read the other stuff? I have. I've read all of the comics. I do have the novel. I have not read it. Um, but I do have it. It's on my list of stuff to read. And I picked it up because I really like the character of Kara Holt um, from the other volumes of the comic books. So I think it's really interesting, and I think it's cool to have a female protagonist and, you know, especially one that is a Jedi but sort of like an offbeat Jedi um, kind of seems to be on that edge, sort of like Qui-Gon Jinn or maybe even Quinlan Voss a little bit. Um, but, you know, I really like her a lot, and um, the story's kind of interesting. I don't love all of the characters at all, um, but I think her character is very strong, and I like that. Well, my first exposure to Knight Errant was Star Wars Knight Errant Volume 3 Escape, which I got turned on to and got excited to read when I heard your guys' interview with John Jackson Miller. So <laughs> oh, um, I hadn't read any. I, I knew what they were about, and it actually kind of interested me. I just had not gotten around to it. But as soon as I heard you guys talking to him and him ta explaining it a little bit, um, it made me even more excited. So um, so I, uh, I started from the latest one. And, um, you know, like you, uh, there's some things um, in it that, uh, weren't my favorite. I think I, I would probably, uh, after being exposed to it for a little bit longer and rereading some of these things, you know, like I like to do with comics, I think I would start to grow. It would grow on me a little bit. Um, but uh, overall, my my favorite thing is the idea and the character of Kara Holt. I, I really do like that idea. So, yeah, and like you, Teresa, I've actually read all the other comics, but I have not read the novel. Um, yeah, so coming into this third volume, I was pretty familiar with the story. Um, the last two volumes, I don't know, they were, I like them, and I like Josh said, I, I kind of like the idea of the story more than I actually like the story. <laughs> I think the first two volumes had elements that, that I wasn't a huge fan of, but uh, going into this third volume, um, I actually did really, I felt like the story was really starting to pick up, and by the time I finished it, I was disappointed that this is the last one. You know, there's no more Knight Errant stories. There's no more Kara Holt stories, you know, for now. And I don't think there's anything in, you know, anything in the plans to make any more. So just as I was starting to really kind of to warm up to this character, now it's over. Well, now we need to read the novel, right? Right. So now I, I can go back and read the novel. So let's go ahead and, I guess, jump into this. Um, where we're at in this one, you know, the... I find it interesting that the first issue, the main caption on the bottom, is, it says, fall to the dark side. Do, you, any, do either of you feel like that was kind of a little bit misleading? Yeah, I think they use that a lot. Um, when you're looking at these Dark Horse comics, they have these titles for, you know, each issue has, like, you know, the text on the front that's supposed to catch your attention. And it seems like every Jedi character they've had, you know, they've had the issue, the cover where they're, you know, they look dark side. And, like, I remember when Legacy Comics had, you know, Cade Skywalker, you know, on the cover. And it's like, you know, Cade Skywalker's a Sith, or I forget how they worded it. 
you know, and they have a couple of the different covers on on this these storylines that kind of show Kara that way. So it's kind of like you have to take it as a grain of salt. It's like, okay, you know, I didn't really think it was misleading. I just never really expected it to come true. You know, I never thought she was going to fall to the dark side. Well, it's a classic tradition with comics to make the uh, cover make you think it's different than it actually is in the story. So. <laughs> yeah, but I thought the one thing about the Night Errant comics that you do have to say is they're very unique. You know, some of the elements of the stories are extremely unique in that they have these Sith, these brothers, they're kind of fighting each other. It's not even just, just brothers. It's like a whole family. You have these two brothers, and then they have like a grandma who's kind of egging them on. And then they, I guess this other guy is like their cousin, this crazy guy that lives on this other planet. You know, it's this whole family of Sith. It's a dynamic that we've never seen before in any of the other Sith stories. And I thought that was kind of cool. Well, and that's true, but I do love the idea of there being multiple Sith and not just being the two. Just because, you know, the Sith way had to come from somewhere. And I think that's why I like um, John Jackson Miller's Lost Tribe of the Sith quite a bit. is because I do like that dynamic. But this family dynamic is definitely different. Yeah, definitely. And this is like the time period, if I'm getting my Sith history correct, this is kind of right before Darth Bane, who is the guy who came in and set the rule of two. This is right before that, um, yeah. and that's part of the reason that I love Bane so much is because he does make that transition to the rule of two, and he explains why he's doing it. It isn't just said, oh, well, it's two, only two. You know, I love those books for that simple fact of that they explain all of that. Yeah, and you can kind of see with the Sith how they're, how they're acting right now. They're so self-destructive that you can see why Bane needed to step in and kind of change the way things worked. And I love how this is kind of leading up to that. So basically the storyline for this one is Kara decides to go undercover and infiltrate the Sith. She gets in there and she's actually uh, kind of on the inner circle, I guess you could say, of Lord Odeon, who is the big bad Sith in this issue. And he is trying to find this... this uh, it's like some sort of helmet that's supposed to give him these powers, and he's trying to discover that, and she's trying to get in there and stop him from the inside. I thought when she first kind of got her way into that inner circle, it was really hard for me to believe, because she had already faced Odin before in the earlier comics, that he did not recognize her or didn't, you know, even within the Force be able to kind of notice something's wrong. And I, did, I didn't believe that, but then I guess later in the comic... It didn't really matter because he really knew all along. What did you guys think about that at the beginning? Were you kind of like hard to believe that she could get in there so easily? Um, yeah, it seemed a little bit too good to be true kind of thing. But, you know, weirder stuff has happened. I mean, <laughs> I could talk about some things in like anime where people look exactly the same, but then they people don't recognize who they are, so it happens a lot. Well, you don't even have to go to anime. You could just go to Superman and be you know, people don't recognize Clark Kent as Superman. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, an element that you have to kind of suspend your your disbelief a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was very convenient, but in the end it ended up being planned. Yeah, so, right, exactly. But it was a little, it was a little sad that she didn't see it, so... 
But anyway, they all thought they were using each other, and I think uh, in the end, um, they really weren't. <laughs> right. Not, at least not as much as they thought they were. And I thought, and I thought she looked really cool as a Sith. You know, she came in there. She's got her all black outfit on now. So she lost that kind of teal green thing that she was, she's been wearing for the past, you know, however many issues. I never really liked her outfit that much. So I like her in this all Sith kind of, you know, black outfit. She's got a little bit of facial tattoos going on around her eyes. So I think the the character has never looked better, in my opinion. I thought she looked really cool in this comic. Definitely, I agree. I think she's been growing up over the course of the comics, too. And um, But one thing I really do like about what John Jackson Miller has done, as well as the artists throughout this entire line, is that they have not over-sexualized her. You know, she's always remained in fully clothed. You know, she always looks really, like, kind of rough and tumble. You know, like, she can handle anything. And she... Um, you know, it's not that she's not attractive as a female lead character. She is, but, you know, they don't do it in a way that makes her seem like less of a warrior type. Yeah, I have to disagree a little bit on that point. I think not that they over-sexualized her, but they definitely, um, I don't know, like her, the way that they drew her character, especially as the, the comics started to go on in, into this last issue, I thought they made her a little bit more curvy, and they were definitely trying to accentuate, you know, certain parts of her body that kind of came across as a little bit more your traditional, like, DC, Marvel Comics, you know, superheroes, um, and not what I would expect a Jedi or even a Sith to look like in, like, either armor or robes. You know, she seemed to be kind of wearing not as practical type of clothing. So, I, I mean, I guess from your perspective as a, a girl, you probably see things completely different as I do. But I did think they did kind of over-sexualize her. So I guess I kind of was on the opposite end of the spectrum on that one. Well, I think where where it comes in, like I said, is she's growing up. You know, so if she's younger at the beginning, then it makes sense that she's becoming more of a woman as she gets through, you know, the end of these comics. You are right that her outfit does look a lot like something that would have come out of, like, Marvel Comics and X-Men and those kind of things. It really does. There's a scene where she just really looks like Jubilee to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, I think when I'm talking over-sexualization, I'm talking, like, the outfits that they put, like, the Twi'leks in. You oh, know, okay. Yeah, or, where they're showing you know, a lot of skin and stuff. Yeah. Shirts that don't cover anything, you know, and stuff like that. Really heavy makeup and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's sort of what I mean by that. Yeah, she was definitely covered. She was just covered in very thin spandex. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so kind of the big twist at the end of this of uh, the first issue of, of this is uh she she kind of finds that maybe her parents are still alive and so all along in this storyline um if you've been following the night errant comics at all um she's you know her parents were believed to have died early on when she was just a child and so now she's finding out that you know they might be alive and so that's kind of motivating her um, you know, moving forward into these comics. Yeah, so basically they um, they go to this planet um, and they're trying to find this this helmet for Odeon. And Kara, you know, she keeps going off on her own trying to figure things out, you know, kind of breaking from the pack. And I guess in a, in a way kind of making herself a little bit more suspicious, I thought, you know, to the point where I was thinking, man, these I can't believe these people even still trust her. She keeps breaking off and 
doing her own thing, and you would kind of think that they would start to get a little bit suspicious of her. Well, I guess they were because they ended up they knowing they, they knowing that she, what she was doing. So they all seemed to know who she was and what the what the deal was. But really, I got the so. impression that only Odian knew all along, but the rest of them were surprised. But maybe I was reading it wrong. Um, well, Lord Damien. No, I mean. Knew. Well, she was doing yeah, it for I, I, the, Damien, right? Yeah. Yeah. The people in charge knew. I, not not like you're right. You're right. The other characters, like the um, and I wasn't sure how to how to pronounce that that group of of students, I guess, or whatever it was from Odeon. How how do you how would you guys pronounce that group? The what are they called? It starts with an N. The no noviet noviciates or something noviciates. like that. <laughs> yeah, I always thought I couldn't ever pronounce that word, so I just sometimes you know when you have it words. Sounds- and- books and comics and you don't know how to pronounce them you just you know what the word looks like but you just kind of skim <laughs> over it that's what i was doing but to me, it felt like they were talking like initiates of this movement you know of odian's movement so it says like no vitiates. that's how i that's how i saw it but anyway i didn't think they knew but they didn't uh, come across as the most stable people anyway so it didn't bother me so much but uh, it did worry me that all these you know super powerful people in charge wouldn't know but then in the end it turned out they kind of did so um then it made a little bit more sense, at least. Yeah. And, well, one of the main characters that we're introduced to as well here is uh, this general that works for Odeon, um, Yulan. Uh, interesting character. He's one of the few, I guess, um, I was having a hard time placing his species. And I was trying to figure out if we had seen it before. I guess he's a Taro. I looked it up, and I don't think we've seen that anywhere else in the EU. So I guess this is kind of... Uh, unique to this storyline, but I thought he kind of looked almost a little bit like a Bothan. I, I was thinking the same thing. I thought maybe yeah. just with the fur and the ears that he might be Bothanish, but... But he was an interesting character, kind of complex. Um, you know, it seems like Odian has recruited these people that are kind of down and out, and Odian's whole philosophy, which is kind of interesting, is these people that, I guess people in general, as they exist causes him pain and so he enjoys eliminating life and so he brings in these these uh these people to work for him that really have no value in life you know they're kind of at their wits end and that's kind of how this yulan character is he's lost his family he has nothing to live for so he doesn't mind working for this this sith whose whole purpose in life is to cause death and you know, in the end, these people are completely okay with dying for Odian, um, which I thought was interesting. What did you guys think about the character of Yulan? I, oh, I don't know how to explain it. I think they they took something that happens very often in our normal lives where people lose their family members or their loved ones or whatever, but instead of trying to find peace with it and trying to move on in a positive way, they spun it the other direction and turned him into a really negative, um, you know, sort of depressed, despairing person. And so I feel like that was really relatable to real life. But it also made me kind of sad for him that that's the path that he chose. Uh, I liked... um... I liked that character because he was just, uh, he was kind of messed up in the head, and I thought that he was going to be somebody that was unbendable, you know, somebody that um, wouldn't um, go against Odeon, 
but in the end, he was the really the one that uh, helped save the day, really, you know, because he saw what it was really all about, and he sort of learned what the Jedi idea was, I guess. So I liked him. Yeah, he was the one character that Kara could actually manipulate because of his past, you know, because in the story they come across these, you know, these pods of these children who are being kept prisoner. And this character, Yulan, actually lost his his own family. And so Kara was actually able to take advantage of, not that she was being manipulative, although she kind of was, but I think she really was trying to change the way he thought. And saying that, you know, even though your family has died, they still matter. You know, and the future of this galaxy matters. And she knew he could make a difference. And, um, you know, we're kind of jumping ahead to the very end of the comic here, but, you know, he is the one that actually goes and facilitates the defeat of Odeon, which was a nice twist. I thought that was cool to see this character, who was kind of bad throughout, uh, able to redeem himself in the end. Yeah, and I think it's safe here to actually to go towards the end of the comic, because over the course of this comic, there is a lot of, you know, fluffy dialogue stuff that happens between the brothers and, you know, or the brothers talking and basically sort of tooting their own horns, for lack of a better phrase. Um, You know, but something that, you know, I do find interesting is the dynamic between Kara, the helmet that they're going after, and her parents, and how everything is all intertwined, and how she does, at the end, come to understand and learn that, you know, her parents were protecting something for the greater good of other people. And it's like at that moment she realized that all of these kids that have been taken prisoner and stuff are what she was had she not been taken in by um, Venar Trace. The the part with the, the very end and the way that Odeon is defeated, I guess the the whole thing with the helmet is he, he can use that helmet and actually use people's emotions to give him more power. And so I guess his whole plan was to have these these children that he could, you know, feed off of their anguish. And I thought it was a little comical, like I kind of had a little bit of a chuckle when the the way that they got these kids to go into anguish is by turning out the lights. It just seems so simple and like almost kind of like really like you couldn't think of something a little bit more <laughs> I don't know, like to me that was a little bit we funny, not as I don't know. If you turn out the lights, sure, kids might get scared, but like the fact that he was using that that as the way to scare them was a little bit weird for me. Well, I actually thought it was kind of perfect because you know little kids are very impressionable, and especially little kids that have had no human interaction for so long. They're kept inside of these bubbles with a specific routine, and everything is the same every day. And then to have something come in and to completely disrupt that routine, you know, it would be very, very frightening. And especially if you've never been in the dark before, if you can't even remember what dark is, you know, and then to have that happen to you and to not know what's going on. And, I mean, I think it would be very traumatic. Yeah, and they explained it well in the comics, but it still, for whatever reason, just fell short for me. I, I don't know why, I just didn't, the fact that it was just as simple as turning out the lights, I guess I wanted something a little bit, a bigger thing that needed to happen. 
Well, I'm glad it didn't result to any kind of, like, permanent torture for the kids. You know, it was something like that. But, you know, it's weird. That scene, you know, where the kids start screaming, it actually sort of brought, like, a tear to my eye because I've been a little kid that was afraid of the dark before. Yeah. You know. Yeah, fair enough. I it just I guess it didn't have it didn't work for me as well as obviously it worked for you. Was there anything in the comic that stuck out to you guys? You know, you know, we've kind of gone through the whole story, you know, just to kind of wrap it up. Um, you know, basically Odin uses these emotions to give him more power, but then in the end it backfires on him because Yulan turns against him, goes and actually re, you know, frees all these children who who generate now generates opposite uh, type of emotion. Now they're happy, and that is actually what kind of overloads him and and basically kills him. And uh, you know he's he's begging for Kara's help at the end, and she pretty much kind of goes a little dark and you know basically says, "Hey, I don't typically I don't typically condone what I'm doing here, but I'm going to do it anyways." You know, I think that was good for her to do, though. I mean, it showed her resolve, and it showed that she wasn't going to be manipulated further. And I really liked the line when he was trying to get her to, um, you know, let him survive because he knew the identity of her brother. And she said, they're all my brothers and sisters. You know, I love that. Yeah, and I, I was very surprised by that twist at the end because I don't know for me I thought that she was going to you know kind of let him suffer but then in the end she was going to let him survive because you know apparently her brother or sister whoever is still out there and did they say it was a brother for sure or was was it ever said um for some reason it, I think it did say brother but did it okay I'm and not sure why that sticks out in my head, but... <laughs> and we well, don't even know. They, Odeon... They didn't. They said... Um, he says that your parents had their child. I can help you find your sibling. Okay. Um, so I just kind of assumed it was brother. Yeah, and I think... And, and who knows? He could have been lying, just trying to survive, you know, and maybe he has no idea. But I thought that she would at least try to find it. And the fact that she tried to compare, oh, I don't, you know... I don't care that you know that information because now I have this new family. To me, that was a little off because in my mind, I would have been like, oh, you're the only person that has information about my last surviving family member. I probably might want to let you live. So I think maybe she let her own anger take over at that point and maybe didn't make the best decision. But, you know, that was just me. I kind of thought it was a, an odd decision at the end. What did you think, Josh? Um, you know, I think uh, the way I was reading it, she had done so well following the clues of her parents that to me it just felt like, you know, she doesn't really need him. I mean, she can probably find this kid on her own. So, um, uh, so I guess that was that was kind of my first thought. At least I thought she could, you know. So she doesn't doesn't really need him to survive in order to find him. I'm sure there's another way to find him. Um, but then I thought, you know, just to kind of make a point, um, they were saying that. Uh, Look, it doesn't. I don't need you. You're way too dangerous to be kept alive, and we're not gonna. I'm not gonna try to fall for your, for your manipulation. So yeah. see, I would be um, so. It, bad, so it didn't really bother me. I would be such a bad <laughs> Jedi. I would have been like, okay, I'll let you live. Where's my brother at? You know, like, you know, she has more resolve than I do, apparently. But. <laughs> 
Well, I would have thought of it from the perspective of you could be lying. I could be risking, you know, the entire rest of the galaxy by letting you live just so that I can figure out who my brother is. And I can probably figure that out without your help because I am that smart. So, no, you're going to die. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm glad they did finally kill this character off because she kind of, you know, sorry to spoil a, a different issue for you, Josh, but early on in the comics... She has a run-in with him as well, and she actually believes that she kills him, but he survives his injuries. So uh, maybe this is where she kind of was like, you know what, I tried to kill you once, you survived, I'm not letting you get away with it again. I th- I was kind of, the last part of this, the, the very end where, you know, she tells, oh, what does she say here? I totally thought this end part was really cheesy. She's like, travel safely. That, that's, that's my family you're carrying. That's my family you're carrying. And then she's, like, sitting there with, like, she's clutching this thing in her arms. And there's this real, I don't know, like, that very end page for me was, like, super cheesy. And I kind of rolled <laughs> my eyes at that. I was just like, uh, what did you guys yeah, think about? I, no, I was the same way. I was like, ah, oh, she's hugging a metal disc of a message. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little sentimental. But um, overall, I thought that. You know, there was just a little bit too much um, monologuing, I guess, in the whole thing. But maybe that's just kind of a, a trait when you when you do comics and you have to explain, especially since I know, remember, John Jackson Miller was saying um, how they don't really do thought bubbles anymore. Um, and so this is maybe just a way to overcompensate for that. I actually kind of miss the thought bubbles. So I do, too. Yeah, I was thinking that when she was going down into where she discovered where all those children were at, there's this whole scene where as she's going down the ladder and kind of she's talking to herself <laughs> and she's narrating it. To yeah, herself. she's yeah, audibly I, talking I, to herself, and I'm like, nobody does I thought that. The like, same thing. Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking, man, this would be a perfect place to to reinstate the the thought bubbles, but I guess they're kind of out of fashion now. Maybe we have to come up with something completely new. All right. Well, before we get to our final thoughts here, a couple things that stuck out to me: uh, the clone troopers that were in these comics. There's actually um, some of the Sith troopers, I guess they were, they just looked like clone troopers to me. Like, I didn't really like the fact that the armor looked so similar to what we know from from the Clone Wars era. I kind of was disappointed that they didn't try to do something a little bit more ne- more unique. Did you guys notice that? I tend to notice that in all of the Old Republic era stuff. I, I don't think it's nearly different enough from... Uh, the original or prequel trilogy, I, I think it should be vastly different. I mean, it's thousands of years before, so that's always kind of been a problem with me and the Old Republic. Yeah, and, and I can understand why they do it in the video games, because you're trying to sell, you're trying to sell a video game to the masses, and so you want to put some familiar elements. Um, you know, a lot of people that pick up video games don't necessarily pay attention to timelines and. And so, you know, you put in the, the clone trooper-looking characters, you put in the Jedi-looking characters. But for a comic book, I was a little disappointed they didn't get a little bit more creative. Yeah, yeah I, I, I kind of noticed that, too, and I uh, sort of agree with you guys on that. Yeah, and then the other thing that just uh, stuck out to me was the one character, um, what was his name, Lord Malachite, basically. <laughs> uh, the hairy arm guy? Yeah, I marked him down as the crazy Sith Lord of Scarpos. Like, that guy was, you know, he was very interesting. Um, I don't know if maybe he plays a bigger part in the novel. I, maybe, because it felt like he was a bigger character 
that had been referenced somewhere else. Uh, like there's more to him than we than we know. So well, he didn't he didn't really do much in this one. No, not at all. But he was a very interesting looking character, and I kind of wanted to know more about him. I mean, they're flying on these winged like humanoid character. It was weird. Like that part was really strange. Like these bat looking guys that they're using as mounts. Like really strange. Like <laughs> I didn't, that <laughs> that really stuck out to me. Well, um, let's move into our final thoughts about the comic. Um, I'll go first. Um, as I said before, I really like the Carol Holt story. Um, I really like her as a character. Um, I like the way that they tied this up at the end, but I kind of wish they'd left a little bit of room for something to maybe possibly happen with her at a you know, future time. Um, I'm not a big fan of Lord Odeon or Lord Damien or Lord Malachite. Um, neither, none of them seem very frightening or menacing or evil or, they don't seem very Sith to me. They seem very, um, self-absorbed. Um, just very much so. Guys that are on power trips. Um, you know, and so, but I, I like the idea of the story and the fact that she, her whole purpose is trying to find her family and in the process do some good for some other people. And even though she may fall off that track every now and then because she gets clouded by the things that she wants, she always seems to come back to what her true mission is, um, what she was given at the very beginning by her Jedi Master um, in the, I guess, the Aflame volume. What were your final thoughts, Josh? I'll let you go. Um, you know, I uh, overall, I, I enjoyed the whole idea of the story. Um, I liked a lot of parts of it. And, um, you know, there were a few things, like I said, I thought it was a little bit wordy. Um, but I, I really liked the character of Kara Holt. So I would like to go back and uh, check out the uh, previous stories and um, the novel as well. So um, it, it made me more interested in the the era and the and the characters. So um, uh, I I liked it a lot and I enjoyed it uh, to the point that I would um, go back for more. So not not my favorite overall um, as a comic, but. Uh, enough for me to to want to check it out so yeah and for me it was um i i did enjoy this storyline i didn't enjoy the other two volumes as much although i did like them uh they weren't as good as this one this was definitely the best of the three um and like i was saying before it was starting to ramp up to the point where i was kind of looking forward to learning more about this character and really starting to like her and then it ends, and I feel like there's so much more that they could use, you know, use this era. Um, you know, she she defeats Lord Odin, but there's still these other Sith out there. Um, and there's the mystery of, you know, her other sibling that we don't know where he or her are at. So there's a lot more. I kind of hope they give us at least one more volume someday in the future to kind of tie up some of these storylines. But, um... I did really enjoy this volume. I liked the, the artwork. I thought the, the story was good. Um, I've never really liked some of the humor that John Jackson Miller does. Um, it's just a, a taste thing uh, when it comes to comics. I'm not a big fan of the cheesy humor. And, you know, he, they have the scene where Odeon was complaining about the helmet being too tight. 
and saying it felt like a trash compactor, and then, you know, Kara comes back with a little quip, like, oh, maybe we should go find a trash compactor if it will take you. You know, like, it just seemed... It, those type of cheesy moments I can do without, and that's kind of... I know that's John Jackson Miller's style, and a lot of people enjoy that, but for me personally, I, I can do without it. But um, but other than that, I did really enjoy the story, um, and hopefully we'll get some more about Kara someday. But for now, I'm just looking forward to uh, John Jackson Miller's uh, next novel, Kenobi. I'm really looking forward to that. I think that's where he really shines. Um, is I, I prefer his novels or his his prose work to his comics work. I really enjoyed the Lost Tribe of the Sith ebooks, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do with Kenobi. Cool. Well, I think that about wraps up this particular episode of Star Wars Bookworms. Coming up for our episode in June, we're going to be covering the um, Darth Maul death sentence and also the Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void novel. So if you've read both of those or if you're in the process of reading those, um, try and get those read by mid to late June when we do our podcast. And as always, if you have any comments um, or suggestions for things for us to do on the show, or even if you want to be on the show, send an email to starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. You can also find us at SWBookworms on Twitter and on Facebook at Star Wars Bookworms. We are also a podcast within the Star Wars Report Podcasting Network. Um, you can find me on Twitter at IceColdPenguin. And, guys, I'll let you give your plugs. My Twitter is at AVGoins. Uh, you can follow me there. Also, uh, for you listeners out there, if you haven't liked us yet on Facebook, we would love for you to come over and uh, do that. We actually do update our Facebook page quite a bit, and we try to keep you know keep everybody up to date with the latest uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe news there. So we're, we're linking to a lot of stories uh, and things like that. So... We would definitely like for you to come over and, uh, and check us out on Facebook and give us a like. And um, when it comes to our podcast, we would love for you guys to check us out on iTunes and give us some reviews. Um, that would help us out as far as uh, just getting out to more people. Um, so if you guys haven't left us a review yet, we would love for you guys to jump in there and give us a, a quick, good review. Yep. And Josh, where can people find you? Um, you know, uh, I... Uh, they can find me on Twitter at, at Jedi Schwa, that's S-H-U-A, that's uh, my Twitter, but also um, uh, when you're listening to Techno Retro Dads or Green Justice, we can find um, find us on Facebook, and we also have Twitter at, at Techno Retro Dads and at Green Justice Pod is our uh, Twitter handles on those two shows, so we would love to hear from you guys, so after you're finished downloading and listening to Bookworms, you can uh, listen to the other two shows too, they're fun. Definitely go and check out Josh's shows. They're definitely worth a listen. And as always, thank you for joining us here on Star Wars Bookworms. And may the Force be with you. Ghost Prison. Some of the main characters that we see are Lorraine you don't, and Tom. You don't Do have to go through the main that? characters, no. Okay. We well, can go through them if we want to. No, <laughs> that's just more for our reference, like, as we're talking about them. So we don't always th- say, like, oh, what was that character's name again? Oh, yeah. Now we have Maybe it right yeah. here in our show notes. And I will edit this part out. 
<laughs> his name was Carl. Darth Carl. Was that Carl? No, it was Jim. Darth Jim. Darth Jim. <laughs> That's the best Sith name ever. We, we would lose all credibility, and no one would ever listen to our podcast again. <laughs> so. I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might be more entertaining if we just get all the names wrong. All right. Uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about it.